Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're doing another show from an exciting venue. It's the National Tribal Health Conference. We're here in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and it is a convention that has been uh, gathered through the uh, influence and through the coordination of the National Indian Health Board. It's the 35th year that they've been doing this conference, and we have folks here from all over the country Again, in our virtual studio here in the exhibit area is one such person. Her name is Kailana Gates. Kailana, it's great to have you with us. It's good to be here. Now, you folks are working with an organization that I am just learning about. You're called the Tribal Resource Tool. Have I got that right? Yes. And you're the program assistant for that uh, project, if you will. That's correct, yeah. For those who have been here to the National Indian Health Board-sponsored conference. They perhaps have come by your booth. Maybe they've been hearing about you for years. Have you been around for years, first of all? (laughs) Yeah, so actually we're going on the end of our third year and hopefully furthering that after more funding after the end of this year. Okay, so basically around for three years. What is the Tribal Resource Tool and why are you here? All right, so we are a federally funded grant through the Office of Victims of Crime. So what we're doing is we're creating an online database Um, for services for Native victims of crime. Um, And so we've gone across Indian country and Alaska, making sure it's really accessible. And um, so you'll be able to say, I'm in Oklahoma City and Mm -hmm. I need um, elder abuse services for my Mm -hmm. grandmother. And you'll be able to go on there, put in your location, those services you need, and then they'll populate with the services um, in your area. And something that's really uh, special about this project is most of the time these projects are specific to a type of victimization like sexual assault and domestic Mm -hmm. violence. But we're trying to make sure that it's across the board, all services. So Hmm. anything from child abuse to, um, you know, uh, substance abuse services, housing services, transportation services. So um, it's really letting people know that you you're here and you need to be heard and we want to be able to give you better access to the services you need now you folks are especially working with people in indian country right yes so someone who's tuning into this show who's not native the tribal resource tool that would not be something that they would really find benefit in tapping into am i hearing you correctly um so if they are a service provider then absolutely they belong in our tool um but also because we know there's huge populations of urban indians Mm -hmm. um you might actually be able to go onto the tool and find something in your area that you don't have to be a tribal member for so okay um it's not just for it's tailored to uh, natives but Uh it's not only specific to natives well this is very interesting so like you said, I mean, there's a lot of attention today on uh, domestic violence, uh, a lot of concerns about, you know, victimization of women. But the tribal resource tool, when you speak about victims of crime, like you said, this is very broad. So if, if a family member was traumatized by a, a home invasion or something like that, the tool is going to give them specific resources to deal 
with that type of victimization as well? That's correct. Huh. It's, it's Yes, it's very widespread. I know it's a big plate, but, you know, we're partnering. I'm from the National Center for Victims of Crime, and we partner with the National Congress of American Indian and Tribal Law and Policy Institute. Um, and so we're kind of expansive across um, the U.S. So being able to have that far reach is something we were really um, in tune with when we first got the grant was to make sure that um, it was across all over and every service you may need. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about this because, I mean, I think most people can relate to having been victimized, abused, bullied. I mean, sometimes it's actually a crime. Other times it's not. But I think most people can relate to this uh, sense of violation, maybe loss of innocence, maybe loss of material blessing, loss of health that may result from certain you know types of uh, of crimes. A lot of people would say, well, you know, if you have mental health needs, if you have physical health needs, I mean, there's other systems in place. I mean, why do you need a tool like this? I mean, what are you finding as people engage with the tool? What kind of benefits are they getting that they weren't getting before? Yeah, so um, it's a more localized, I believe, database. So you might see somebody say, well, I know this service exists, but... um, some people might not. And mm-hmm. when you're in that situation, um, I think that it's really nice to be able to say, you know, I can go here and find what I need. I'm a citizen of, say, um, the Chickasaw Nation, mm-hmm. but I currently live in D.C., but I'd like a culturally specific service. Um, you might not have that contact. Um, and so then you would be able to find a contact from back home to find culturally specific services. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, also it is also nice because we work with NCAI. And uh-huh. so we'll see they're going to create a, um, a research project at the end to say, you know, we know crime is high here, but we are only reporting um that there's one shelter in the area. And so uh-huh. we need more services. Okay. And so then uh, they'll be able to make a report and then see where those things are and make calls of funding maybe and um, hmm. find out that as well. So that's another unique thing about the tool. So this is really an interesting partnership. So you have the NCAI, the National Congress of American Indians, and many people that know American Indian Living Radio realize we have a, a sister print periodical American Indian Living Magazine, which is a joint uh, you know, collaboration with the National Congress as well. So they're doing a lot of things throughout Indian country, partnering with, with different groups. So they're one of your partners. And then also you have the National Center for Victims of Crime. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Kaylana. I never heard of the National Center for Victim, Victims of Crime. And uh, raise the awareness a little bit, not just for me, but for my listeners, why would someone want to know about this? Uh, is it a federally funded uh, organization? Um, so the National Center for Victims of Crime, that's where I personally mm-hmm. work. Um, we are a nonprofit okay. housed in D.C. Okay. So we're not native specific, which mm-hmm. is um, might be why some people haven't heard of us. Mm-hmm. But we've been around, I believe, since the 70s or the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, so they started the nonprofit as a way to combat all types of crime. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we actually house two hotlines in 
our office. One of them is Victim Connect, which is a national hotline, mm-hmm. and then DC hotline, which is DC specific. But um, our organization was created to be able to combat all types of crime as well. Um, but we are a nonprofit, and we are housed in DC. Mm-hmm. Okay. To help us grasp the Tribal Resource Tool, the National Center for Victims of Crime, just a little bit better, can you think of any stories? I mean, people who utilize the services, who've come back to you, they said, this really helped me. Can you just give us an idea practically how this has impacted individuals? Um, for the Tribal Tool specifically or just the National Either, Center? either, just so we kind of have a sense of what you're doing, how it would help someone. And so someone could say, oh, I could see myself using this. Yeah. So I'll speak with about Victim Connect because I know mm-hmm. a lot about that. So that is our nationwide hotline that we run. Um, and so in that hotline, it's called text or chat. So you can go online um, and speak to somebody. So it's personal. Mm-hmm. Um, tell them what you're going through. Tell them the services you need. And then they'll be able to find those services in the area. So if I mm-hmm. called in from Florida and I was looking for financial um, abuse advice. I could mm-hmm. call them, text them, or chat them, and then they would be able to have somebody who's trained in financial abuse to be able to give me services in my area. Really? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I don't think this is on a lot of people's radar screens. Yeah. So we are trying now to table at more conferences, and uh-huh. um, I believe we, we've been around for a few years, um, but we are trying to get our name out there. So let me... Um give you a practical scenario from my own life. Okay. I work in an underserved area in California, and I often have patients telling me stories of bad things that have happened. And I can't always evaluate as a physician whether it's a crime or not, but often there is some um, criminal activity that might be involved. So, for example, I had a patient recently that said they were illegally pushed out of the place they were living. So... They were implying that this was not done within the the scope of the law. Uh, They're now homeless because the place they were renting, they've been uh, through some sleight of hand when they were gone. The locks were changed, things like that. Their possessions were then uh, taken and supposedly disposed of. So this person feels that they've been victimized. When I was talking with them, I said, well, we've got a social worker here that can work with you. But that social worker is dealing with a lot of things, and she's not a specialist in victimization. Right. I could have given her some national hotline number, Mm -hmm. and you would have had someone talk with her who could have helped her? Yeah, so Victim Connect now, they have not, they have, Native-specific services as well. But if it was not Mm -hmm. Native-specific, then you can go uh, find Victim Connect online, um, find that phone number, and you as a service provider would be able to find her services as well, which is also the – so we partner really well with the Victim Connect hotline because Uh the tribal resource tool is learning from them. And um, so that's kind of what we've molded ourselves after is being able to find services for service providers like yourself in that situation. So if it was native specific, you could also go on the tribal resource tool when it launches in December to find services as well. So the tribal resource tool isn't fully up and running yet. Am I hearing that correctly? Correct. So um, we launch in December at Indian Nations um, Conference, which is uh, held in Palm Springs, California. 
Um, and so in December, everything will go live and it'll be forward facing. So right now we're trying to find as many organizations and services we can to put in the tool. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're recording right now in September of 2018. Of course, this is a pre-recorded show. So those of you tuning into American Indian Living are listening sometime after the actual recording date. And uh, my guess is it's not going to be all that uh, much longer from the time this show airs that the tribal resource tool goes up live. For people who say this is great, uh, whether it is in December and they're hearing the show or it's a little bit before, is there a point of contact, a website, something else that people would use to access the tool? Yeah. Um, so if you're a service provider trying to get into the tool, you can fill out our provider inclusion form on tribalresourcetool.org. Um, that's up and running. Um, if you need any help at all, it's really simple. It takes about 15 minutes com to complete. But you can also contact me, Kaylana, at 202-467-8723, um, and I'll walk you through everything you need to know. Excellent. If you need services that second, um, please call Victim Connect. They will contact me to get the services I know of oh, in that okay. area as well. Okay. So is Victim Connect something I could just search online for, or is it victimconnect.org or something simple like that? Or, I believe you know? it's victimconnect.org. Okay. So Victim Connect, that's what you want to remember. Kaylana Gates is one of the uh, team members who will likely be assisting you even, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, what you want to do is you want to keep your eyes open because in December, the tribal resource tool will be rolled out, which as I'm hearing more and more about it on this uh, segment of the show, Kaylana, it almost sounds like you've basically taken your success with Victim Connect and you've said, let's pair that by working with institutions, organizations that are especially trying to help First Nation peoples, and let's make sure we have culturally specific resources available for Native Americans, regardless of their tribal background. Am I kind of catching a picture of your overall goal? Yeah, absolutely. So we've actually worked with 20 stakeholders across the country uh -huh. um, and with Strong Hearts Native Helpline as well. Okay. Yeah. Excellent stuff. We have to step away just briefly. You're listening to American Indian Living. One more time, if you didn't catch that information, we've been talking about the Tribal Resource Tool. You can access it at tribalresourcetool.org part of a larger project called Victim Connect, or at least a sister project, if uh, Kaylana allows me the liberty of describing it that way. And then if you're looking for that phone number once more, it's area code 202-467-8723. Again, 202-467-8723. We do have to step away. We'll be back with more from the National Tribal Health Conference right after this. I'm Dr. DeRose. Stay by. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical. 
medical unit. Respond to 102 Maple Avenue. Possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking here in this exciting venue with people who are traveling through the exhibit area. They've come from all parts of Indian country. And across from me now is a, a native elder, uh, Sandy Bakavoy, you may have heard the Bakavoy name because a couple of her children are actually working at a health screening booth that is in close proximity to me. Sandy, it's great to have you with us on the show. Thank you very much for asking me. Sandy, I have known about your work for many years in Indian country, and I think I first heard about you being the lady who had a passion to help Native youth. Yes, um, I think when we are... Many years ago, uh, the Martinez uh, volunteered me to help them on a vacation Bible school. And, and from that time, I have been able to help the children. This is exciting because you have deep roots in Indian country. You're a uh, enrolled Cherokee tribal member, right? Yes. And yet, um, I know I've had other members of your family tell this your, your family background. Was it your husband or your dad who was Osage? No, it was my father. Uh, my father had, had, was the original Alati of the Osage tribe, and so uh, that's why I have the ranch that I'm living on now, because it, I inherited it, of course, from my father. Uh-huh, okay. So you live right now uh, on an Osage, originally Osage tribal allotment uh, parcel, right. and that's home for you here in Oklahoma. You've got children that are actively giving back in Indian country, and for many years you were known, I don't want to say just throughout the country, because I've heard stories about you and your husband. You really traveled throughout the world helping indigenous peoples with health and taking an interest in families. Am I understanding that right? Oh, that's very true. 
So tell us a little bit about your story. You grew up here in Oklahoma, right? Yes, I grew up here in Oklahoma, but my uh, parents left uh, to, when I was about 12 to go to Texas so I could have a Christian education. They thought that was important. And so then I went to uh, uh, Keene, Texas, where I took my academy in college and then actually finished graduating in uh, Nebraska Union College. But uh, during the time, along the way, in the back of my mind, I had, it was in my mind that I would be a, a foreign missionary. Hmm. And when my um, husband and I received our call from our headquarters in Washington, D.C., unexpectedly, and my father heard about it, uh, my mother said there was tears in his eyes because he was always afraid that someday Sandy would be a foreign missionary. <laughs> okay, so basically the the booth across from us is uh, run by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. They're doing health screening here at this venue. They're one of the major sponsors for the uh, Na- National Tribal Health Conference. You yourself are Seventh-day Adventist. Yes. And you had this value of not necessarily... Uh, converting the world, but of helping people wherever they were with their needs. Is that putting words in your mouth, or is that true? Yes, and I think that the seed that was sold in my heart when I was a child, I had a uh, Bible teacher in our church that was such a wonderful children's leader Hmm. that I think she became my mentor and, and who I wanted to be like because she had such a great impact. She only had five of us children, but all of us today are Christian workers somewhere. Huh. So she instilled that, that value of service, of that's, giving back, that, of helping other people. That's right. And so you said your husband, who was a physician, right? Yes. Um, and you received an invitation from uh, the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists many years ago to go to uh, a foreign mission field, and was that Ethiopia? That was Ethiopia. It was a very definite call. We had uh, He had planned with an architect to build a home uh, shortly after we were married, and so we prayed about it. We asked the Lord, this is what we plan to do, but if you have other plans for us, let us know within two weeks. And we gave the Lord a deadline. Oh, wow. And in five days, we got this letter, and we knew nobody on the East Coast. We got this letter asking us to go to Ethiopia, and it was a definite letter that my husband was to rebuild a hospital that had been mm. destroyed during the Italian occupation. So we felt this was the Lord's will, so we changed our plans and immediately began to pack for Ethiopia. And we'd only been married about a year when we actually went to Ethiopia. Wow. And uh, we heard some earlier in our interviews here at the National Tribal Health Conference from your daughter, who's now a doctorate in public health. She shared about how that spirit of of helping others and kind of the health care environment of the home, if you will, and the ministry shaped her own ministry, her own desire to make a difference. So basically, you were not only training people outside your home, but there was some real training happening in the household as well, wasn't there? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) There are three children. Now, we we are very blessed with three children who love the Lord and who want to serve him. So let's talk about this vision here. And and the reason I call it a vision or perspective, not so much in the sense of a spiritual vision, but you've identified yourself as a Seventh-day Adventist, as a Christian. Many of our listeners are Christians. Some are Seventh-day Adventists. But others come from traditional Native American perspectives. The whole idea of Christianity almost leaves a bad taste in their mouth, or maybe it leaves worse than a bad taste because they think of injustices that were done to them by people who called themselves Christian. And I know you know that whole uh, dynamic in Indian country. 
So let's talk about the bigger issue, whether someone is motivated by Christian principles, whether it's native kind of sense of unity, wanting to give back to their tribe or to Indian country in general. What kind of needs do you see among native youth today? What kind of things are missing that you wish people were making an impact on? Well, I think the thing that I was working for our children all across the United States are Indian children and and all the different states. And I think that the thing that really uh, tore my heart was to see that children without hope, Mm. that we have so much suicide among Indian children. And um, we had this, I have this friend in Canada, and he was telling me that he was the principal of one of the schools here, and he went over on the school ground, and a seven-year-old child had just committed suicide. He'd hung himself on a, on the, um, those bars, what the jungle bars, or whatever they call those bars. And so he immediately began to ask, and one of the children said, oh, that's just the way we are. So... So often, if somebody in the family has committed suicide, it goes, somebody else will do it, like a copycat. So it really made me wonder what we could, how we could give them hope mm-hmm. to get out of the situation so that they could have something to look forward to in this life to make it, uh, you know, make something different than what they are seeing it now. Because so many of the Indian children, I think, they don't see past where they are right now. Mm-hmm. There needs to be somebody to mentor them, to give them hope. To see, I see today the Indian children still, they're very physically uh, perfect. I mean, they just look like little athletes when, uh-huh. when they're young. But soon after that, their, their health begins to go down. The lack of uh, proper diet and then also uh, the lack of parental knowledge uh, we had this one couple, they had two little boys, and they were having a hard time. They were not ready to get a divorce, and this older lady took them under her wing, and the, this mother, and she guided her and helped her to be a better mother and helped her and so forth, and the father saw that she was doing so much better, and so eventually they are now trying to help other. They're uh, using their artistic ability and making the clay pottery and things like that, and that gives them the finances that they can go throughout Indian country and trying to help other young people. Well, this is exciting. And, and I'm actually, whether our, our listeners are enjoying this conversation as much as I am, I don't know. Of course, I can't put myself in anyone else's position, but I'm gaining some insights into people that I work with. So for those of you that are regular listeners to American Indian Living, you've heard, if you've been listening to this series of programs, you've heard from Joni Bakavoy, the, the doctorate in public health uh, science trained uh, health professional who I interviewed a couple of times here in different segments at the uh, National Tribal Health Conference. But if you've listened to American Indian Living over the years, you've probably heard James Bakavoy on the show. The last time, uh, I'll just tell you, Sandy, the last time James and I were together, I was at another conference speaking here in Oklahoma, and James took me over to a, uh, a tribal health clinic where he'd been working, collaborating with people, helping put on uh, camps for Native youth. And what you're doing is you're sharing with me some of your passion. I'm seeing, well, I'm starting to connect the dots. You know, So James has this vision to provide recreational, cultural heritage things for Native youth. And it sounds like it probably goes back to some of these observations that maybe he heard mom and dad talking about, the you know Native youth in many places that 
have lost a vision for hope. They've lost their cultural identity. And I know you personally and I know your family members are making a difference in that way. And you're encouraging us as you're telling your story to say, hey, what do I have? What can I do to share a vision of hope with Native youth? How can I help them connect with their culture better? Because that's another burden that you had, right, over the years? Yes, very much. You know, working with the the Native children, we were in uh, California, and we had this uh, vacation Bible school, and we were working with these young people, and there was this young man that was very handsome, young fellow, about 12 years old. Well, after our program was over, he found a caterpillar that the people were working on the road and had the key in, so he decided to take it for a ride, and he ended up in the lake. Oh my. And they took this young man and they put him in a correctional school. But he, he didn't need to be there. Mm. He needed to have an advocate. And now in many places, they have advocates for children. We want to talk more about this because there's some fascinating insights. That's an amazing story. And we want to reconnect with that interesting story and some of the ramifications of it. I'm Dr. DeRose. Sandy Bakavoy is staying by. You do, too. We've got a lot more interesting observations coming up, practical things for you from the National Tribal Health Conference. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 
1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose and with Sandy Bakavoy on this edition of American Indian Living, again recording from the National Tribal Health Conference in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Sandy, you were sharing with us a story at the end of the last segment for those who are just joining us. I'm going to encourage them to uh, put themselves in the position of having a 12-year-old boy, fine young man, and uh, one day he's just out playing, sees some construction equipment, sees one of these big uh, uh, caterpillar, whatever, maybe a grater or some kind of uh, uh, dozer. I don't know what exactly it was, right? But he uh, sees the key in there. And being the inquisitive young man that he is, wonders if, if it will actually start, perhaps. And it does, and it ends up uh, in a lake. Now, you were telling me off air that this actually was the last time his parents saw that boy, as far as you know? As far as we know, I don't know, because we left that area, so I'm not sure what happened. But I know that he was put into a correctional institution, and they didn't, they wouldn't even tell the parents where he was for some time. But finally, they did find out where he was. But I don't know the end of the story. But uh, this is a young man that needed an advocate. He needed somebody to go in there and try to help them. Because, as you know, that uh, there is a, in this area of... we feel that there's more Native Americans taken into custody than needs to be at times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, but we need for our young people, they don't need to stay out of there. They need, but they need help. So they need somebody to be an advocate for them. And so I know there is a certain, uh, what shall we say, a, a profession or a certain ability uh, the government allows for advocates for children. You were telling me that actually your son, James, um, his father-in-law had been such an advocate for children. I haven't actually heard of that position. What does that involve? I, that's all I know is an advocate for children. And um, maybe you can speak to my uh, James and see more about it. But I know they did it for several years. But it, it really needs to be done because many times the uh, maybe the Indian parents are absent or they uh, you know, don't know how to uh, work with the uh, government, so to speak. And so it gives them a bad time. So you're making a plea, really, for us to take an interest in Native youth. You're saying that oftentimes there are social justice issues that involve, you know, with discrimination and Native youth. If they do cross some boundaries that are felt to be a foul of the law, they may not be treated with the same um, fairness as maybe some children of other uh, race and ethnicities are treated. But you haven't gotten so preoccupied with trying to reform the justice system or make changes like that. You said, I'm a woman that can make a difference in the lives of Native youth by doing educational programs and things, and you've done these throughout the world. You started doing them in Ethiopia, is that right? That's right. The, in Ethiopia, when we we were sent there to build this hospital, and so we began with the children there. And I started with two children. One was a, had a Christian background, one had a Mohammedan background. And uh, so we were there in the first five years, that group grew from two to over 200. Wow. And this first young man that became a... Uh, from a Muslim background. He was a little shepherd boy. Uh-huh. And I have his picture here on my phone. But anyway, uh, we were able to send him away to school. He finished uh, 
high school. He went to Middle East College, finished college. He came back, and he taught uh, in our academy there in Ethiopia many years uh, English. So he's trained many people there that they could, you know, go on with their education. So what you're saying is it doesn't matter someone's race, it doesn't matter their ethnicity, it doesn't matter their religious background. If you take an interest in children in your sphere of influence, you can inspire those children to have hope, to get an education, and you might be surprised. They will often come right back and make a difference with the very community that you've been trying to help. Well, we were very proud of him. We said if we'd gone to Ethiopia just for this one young man, it wouldn't have been worth it all. Uh-huh. Because he has done a tremendous job. And two years ago, I was able to go back to Ethiopia with my son, James. And we met this young man. And he said, where would I have been if the mission had not come? Wow. And so he is now, it's now a third generation that is, uh, they're, they're getting their master's degree. And they're getting, you know, able to make a livelihood and have a life for themselves. And they have hope. This is amazing stuff. So I'm trying to wrap my mind around what you actually did. I mean, you started with two children. You end up with 200. I mean, you must have been doing something that was very engaging for the children. Well, of course, we had our regular uh, church services. We did a lot of, uh, we did Pathfinders. We did a lot of things, uh, Vacation Bible School. And we had a lot of fun. We like we would make them uh, uh cinnamon rolls and popcorn and do things that the kids had never seen before. Mm. And they realized that somebody, I guess, was interested in them. In fact, when I went back, one of the, I met one of the fellows that used to help me translate for our children. And he says, do you know what I remember about you? And I said, what? He said, I remember a little boy that came and his face was covered. He had a cold. He was a mess. And you cleaned him up. So that's what I remember about you. Mm. And I think that's really what's important. If the child knows that you really care, if you love them, that gives them hope. Mm-hmm. And they want to do better. I mean, that is such an important message. And so a lot of people say, well, what can I do? I don't have a degree. Uh, you're not a health professional. You're not a teacher by training, right? I have a, a degree in teaching, yes. You do? Okay. Well, thanks for keeping me straight. I knew you, you had a music degree too, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, but... Speaking, you know, across those lines, people actually, by showing love and compassion, they can make a huge difference in the life of young people, can't they? So I'm trying to translate some of this. And the reason I'm saying translate, people in Christian communities, they hear about these vacation Bible schools. What are these? Usually like a one-week or two-week kind of intensive. Used to be two weeks. Now they're off in one week. Um, And it's uh, usually an evening program or all day. How would you run them? It's usually about a three- to four-hour program. And, uh, of course, the Native American children excel in crafts. Okay. So they do a beautiful job at crafts. I met a little boy that was in vacation Bible school when he was 10. And he made a little leather pouch when we were having the story of David. Uh-huh. And then I met him later on when he was a teenager in high school, and he pulled out of his pocket this little leather pouch to show me that he still had it after wow. all those isn't, years. Isn't that amazing? So we believe that whatever we make in crafts is something that should be usable. Uh-huh. And that's something they, that children treasure enjoy. This is really special. So kids, they see that they're people that love them outside their family, people that care about them. They might be in settings where because they're native, they might be looked down on around people of other cultures. 
and uh, you're showing in your programs that they're special. Someone who's listening today, they say, well, I'm not going to do a vacation Bible school. I don't even believe in the Bible. But we have a lot of people who've been on the show who do native camps, native heritage camps. And the center focus may not be uh, on the Bible or the Bible stories, but it may be on the stories of their cultural traditions. Uh, they may be teaching them uh, tribal crafts. Am I right? Am I on the same page? Yes, I was just going to say that our, we, we based our vacation Bible school, we made our own program based on the Sioux Indian, uh, the, the pillars that they try to teach their children when they're young, like honesty, integrity, and, and to those four pillars, we added the fifth pillar, love. Hmm. And so we made them a vacation Bible school that actually took their qualities that they teach their children and added love. And that was what we used for a vacation Bible school. Okay, now you really got me going here. because So you've got Osage and Cherokee roots. And now you're talking about, you know, Lakota and, you know, sometimes, you know, the Sioux family of tribes. Sometimes, you know, they, we use that European designation. And I appreciate you being sensitive to our non-native listeners because sometimes we're using all these native terms that are mentioned in Indian country and some of the non-native listeners said, you know, you're given all these abbreviations and all these tribes I never heard of. But why would you go to uh, the Northern Plains to look at their beliefs? Were you working there in the Dakotas for yes, a while? Yes. Uh, you know, Debbie Claymore had invited me to oh. vacation Bible school in that area. And then talking with her, we decided to build this vacation Bible school to fit the Indian children. This is what we were hoping for. I got it. And so then we took the pillars of their, uh, what they wanted to teach their young people, and added love to that, and that's what we taught. And we did. We got stories uh, from the native areas and add to that to teach the children what they could do uh, to make themselves strong in not, not only tribally, but that would work for their life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then make them find respect and find uh, hope, and uh, they could see where other young people what would happen, you know, when they followed these particular rules. Mm-hmm. So I'm really getting the big picture here. You're someone, Sandy, who you have a vision for children. You have a vision for youth, but you're not this person who just kind of does it alone. And I got my way of doing it. But when you're in uh, in the Dakotas, you're working with a Lakota woman. I think Deb is Lakota, right? Yes. And uh, you're saying, well, what are the tribal traditions here? And you're saying, if we're going to do a program, uh, whether we're going to do a Christian program, whether we're going to do a secular program, we're going to use the traditions that are valued in that community. Am, am I hearing kind of the way you operated over and the yes, years? Yes, obviously it worked. They gave, the, At the boarding school there, they brought uh, some grades uh, that they had at the boarding school that with the age that we could work with uh, young children, like ages 6 to 12. And they had over 200 young people. Uh-huh. And on Saturday night, they gave the children an opportunity. They said, we'll take you either to the carnival that's in town, uh-huh. or you can go back to your program. And they all chose to come back to our program. Now, isn't that amazing? It was really amazing. But I think that the, the crafts probably pulled them as much as anything. Huh. Because they do such a beautiful job with the crafts. Uh-huh. Well, I love this picture because here a lot of people say, well, we need to give our youth more entertainment. We need to give them more of things that uh, that are valued in the kind of majority culture, the secular culture, however you want to describe it. 
And really, you're sharing from your experience that often kids just want to be valued and loved and feel a sense of connectedness. And that can happen in relatively simple surroundings. Is that safe to say? Very, yeah, very simple. So you didn't have $1,000 budgets and things no, like that? No, So just operating in a small way, whether it's in Ethiopia or in the Northern Plains, the same principles worked, huh? Yes. And in fact, I we've done many vacation Bible schools without any budget. Wow. We just have donations. We tell people what we need, and they will go like lumber company or different people, and they will usually donate to help us. And so you don't have to have a lot to be able to do some of these things. Well, Sandy, I know you have uh, not only worked in Indian country and not just in Ethiopia. Give us a, a partial list, maybe, of some of the different countries of the world where you've run programs for youth. Well, of course, in Singapore, Malaysia, in uh, that part of the world, Hawaii. We've done several in Hawaii. Probably the most exciting one we ever did was in Russia after the Iron Curtain fell, and we had over 450 children, and it was uh, so exciting. I, we want to hear about this, because even though we're speaking to Indian country, a lot of times we can see parallels when we're working cross-culturally or working with different populations. So in our final segment, uh, Sandy, can you stay by for another uh, 10, 15 minutes? Okay, very good. We're going to come back. Sandy's going to share some amazing stories, some final lessons about how you can reach the youth in your own environment better. Lessons from Russia to Native America. You don't want to miss it. We'll be back with our final segment right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand, and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. 
I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Yes, we are at the National Tribal Health Conference in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and across from me still is Sandy Bakavoy. Sandy has been sharing her passion for making a difference, especially with Native youth, but that passion isn't confined to people who share her Native American ethnicity, uh, race. She is actually reached out throughout the world, and you're about to tell us a story out of Russia. So USSR back in the 80s, we think of uh, 70s, you know, Cold War era, and the Iron Curtain falls. A lot of these countries that were part of the USSR become independent, and you are in Russia in that era. Am I getting the picture right? Yes. we were. Uh, our church arranged for the Iron Curtain fell for 12 ministers to go overseas and to see what we could do to help. And they chose my husband because of uh, the name Bakavoy. He is what, Ukrainian-Russian, and he could speak the language. Oh, really? And so he was called to give medical lectures uh-huh. in uh, Lvov, which is in the Ukraine. And so at the time... They asked me to work with the children, and having been in Europe before, I realized that most people don't bring children out at night in Russia, in Europe, so I had only planned for 100 children. The first night, we had 119, and then after that, this was one of the first meetings that children were allowed to come to these type of meetings, and we had soon had over 400 children. I think it was like 450 children, Wow! and they came night after night for six weeks. And we got acquainted with them. And this was really exciting because uh, we we taught them songs and they loved to sing. And, of course, it was just just wonderful to see how people who had never heard the stories, of course, we were teaching Bible stories, and how excited they were to hear these stories. Mm -hmm. And you could hear a pin drop with that many children in the room. And it was just uh, such a thrill. We had one little boy. Uh, they weren't supposed to be there unless they were school age, but he was probably about five years old. And uh, the lights all of a sudden went out, and we realized that he had gotten all tangled up in all the the different wires. He has all, all the cards, so the lights uh-huh. go out, the music goes out, everything goes off. And uh, so I just pick him up, wrap him up in something that one of the materials I had went ahead telling the story. Anyway, he became one of my closest friends. Uh-huh. And so we, we were able to actually get to know these little children, even though it was just a short time. And then some of the older children, at the end, they would bring us flowers to thank mm. us for coming. So it was a real exciting time at that time to see all these young people. What I love about the story is, you know, some people say, well, in Indian country, you know, it's oral traditions, it's storytelling that, that connects with people. But these values, uh, they really transcend cultural lines often. And you were doing some of the very same things you did in Indian country in Russia, and they were responding to it, weren't they? That's right. And it's, it's um, 
you know, children are children everywhere. You just can't help but love them. <laughs> and they are, you know, similar. We had, uh, we didn't have enough chairs. The children were sitting on top of tables and doing them in this, in this room that we had. But what was so great about it, because of our, what we did, from that time on, they decided that they would have meetings for children when they had the older mm. folks meeting. So that was exciting. That was thrilling to know that they would take care of the children and have their own uh, programs for them. Very nice. So folks who've been tuning in, some are saying, boy, I could do what uh, Sandy Bakavoy did. And I know you have a burden that more people catch that vision because as you travel throughout the country, as you look at what's happening in Indian country or in any population, I know you shared with me here at these very meetings, you're saddened that not more people take an interest in children, aren't you? Very much, because uh, my, my husband became ill and I had to retire from my job of uh, children's ministry, we called it, and there was no one to take over my place. Mm. And I thought, what they are missing, uh-huh. the joy of, uh, you know, we did do a lot of traveling, but we got to meet the Indian tribes of all different areas. We went from California to Michigan to Canada. Wow. We went to all these different places and uh, meeting the people. And what a joy it is to meet new people and to be able to share with them. So here's the question, Sandy. Regardless if someone wants to say, look, I'm... Cherokee, I'm Osage, I'm Lakota. I mean, those were three tribes that we mentioned in the interview. They say, I want to, I'm not religious as far as uh, uh, Christianity in that way, but I'm I'm spiritual. I I value the creator. I want to teach some of our traditional stories. I want to run some youth camps. Or if someone is, you know, coming maybe from this vacation Bible school concept, whatever direction they're coming at this are there some simple ingredients would you say you know here's five steps if you want to do a children's program like a one-week program these are things that i would include could you help us well when we go into a new area i would first you'd like to speak to the the uh the tribal uh, elders mm-hmm. or the people the women and the, what their needs are and i think that would be number one to mm-hmm. see because every area is different every tribe is different mm-hmm. so they have they come at a different from a different angle, so you need to know who your local leaders are, and they will tell you uh, what you need to do. But I think mostly, more than anything else, you have to have a absolute love for children, mm. no matter what. And if you really love somebody, you're going to accept them the way they are, but you're not going to leave them the way they are. You're going to try to help them to be okay. better. Okay, great. Can you get? They want they all, but all the children, they need hope. I can't. It's. Uh, saddens me. It breaks my heart to see children that do not have any hope. But these are young children that have a whole lifetime ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And so anybody can be a mentor. Like We have the program Big Sisters, Big Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need something like that in Indian country also. So I'm making a list here. If someone's wanting to do kind of an intensive program like you've done over the years, you say, you know, start by speaking with elders, tribal council, whatever, Make sure that you're working with the, you know, the local leadership. Um, second, make sure you're going into this because you love children. You want to help them. And uh, one of the goals is going to be to instill hope, to help these, these young people see that they've got a future. As far as some of the mechanics, and I'm just drawing from your dialogue, Sandy, uh, one of the things I heard that sounded like 
part of every program you did was some type of hands-on, some type of craft. Is that uh, real important, you think? Oh, I think it's very important because it's something the children really, really enjoy and they look forward to. And they usually, we would, we would make a sample of a craft and then they would do it even so much better than we mm, did it. Okay, very good. <laughs> And I heard you talk about leather crafts. I could imagine some of the others, but what other kind of things did you do? Well, every every vacation Bible school, I always have a, something made out of wood because wood oh, okay. is one of my special in, interests. Uh-huh. So uh, like when we were in uh, the, the one that we did in uh, the Dakotas, we made little boats out of wood. Oh, really? And they we had a stream going right by where we were having our meetings so they could float their boats okay, nice. right afterwards. So. Kids are active. They wanted something, you know, they could do. It's outside, too. Great. And then I I gathered another big part of whatever children's program you did was stories. Love stories. Uh, And that always, that seems to engage adults as well as children. That's right. So stories, crafts. Now, you mentioned at some point music. Now, you mentioned earlier you have a, a music major. Was it piano that you're... Uh... Yes. It, I have a major in piano, but my main interest has always been choral work. Okay. And so uh, teaching the children songs. And uh, I, you know, most of the time, I think that very simple songs, but songs that have a point, songs that mm. have a meaning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in Hawaii, we taught the song, When I Am Afraid, You Know, I Will Trust in Him. Of course, this mm. is a religious song. But after the Aniki came in uh, 1999 or somewhere like that, and we just had Vacation Bible School afterwards when I came back to Hawaii, I said, how many of you sang the song that we learned at Vacation Bible School? And every hand went up, and one of the doctors put his hand up. He said, I sang it ten times. So I think the songs need to have meaning, not just some frivolous song, but songs that that will really mean something to them. I love that idea. So, So basically you're saying, that you're doing things that are fun for kids, you're having music, the kids are singing, but they're not just singing to sing, they're singing things that have words that when that tune comes back to their mind, when there's a, a tsunami or a fire or a volcano, uh, I mean, it depends where they are, or a flood, they can think of the words of the song. When they go through hardships in life, they can think of the words of the That's song. Right. That's good. I like this. Well, you know, Sandy, you have such a rich experience. I know um, you're a lady who still gets around a bit. Um, you didn't tra- have to travel quite as far to come join us today as uh, uh, traveling to Ethiopia or Singapore. But we're surely glad that you took some time out of your schedule here and joined us. Well, if there's anybody that would be interested in contacting me, I would be happy to talk with them. That's wonderful. How would they get a hold of you? Um, on my phone number is 817 817- Okay, so Sandy Bakavoy, if you want to get some inspiration in reaching out to children, 817-403-1427. Of course, any station that airs at any of our networks get program information. They'll have that contact number as well. But one more time, it's 817-403-1427. Well, that's all for today's edition of American Indian Living. For all of us, I'm Dr. David DeRose, hoping that this show, as always, helps you better to be in the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.